Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is Dustin Hawkinsmith. A fresh new week, Dusty. Much better weather. You got to be in a better mood because of that. Uh, I'd like to think that my mood is immune to external pressures. All right. Weather, whatever. Uh, It's bad no matter what is what I'm saying. (laughs) Okay. I was going to say, it's it's nice that you think that, Dusty. All right. We're going to have a couple segments today with Dustin. Then we are going to have a special guest on. We'll talk about that in a minute. But for our first news item, Dustin. Finally, it's been announced officially that first game against West Virginia not only will be carried by NBC, but it will definitely be a night game, 730. You know what? Everyone I'm talking to is thrilled about this and is really excited. Are you? Yeah, I mean, we had this conversation, what was it, a couple weeks ago now when Abdul Carter posted the image from inside the football building that said that gave the countdown to 7.30 p.m. for West Virginia. So we had a, an inkling that this was going to happen, and we did talk about it uh, on that show. And I think we both arrived at the point where, you know, as much as you would love to save that game for, you know, if you're going to do one true whiteout game, you uh, and I guess they haven't confirmed that it's going to be the whiteout, but I would anticipate that, um, that I, I love it for out of, for an out of conference game against, you know, a major opponent, one that has like some rivalry dynamic to it. Uh, you, you get the chance to welcome West Virginia fans to, to state college. You get to show them what the real Beaver stadium is like. You get to showcase that, uh, on national television. So I, I really like, the idea, like I thought the Auburn game a couple years ago was great at home, returned the favor because they wanted to try to match that down there with the energy and the atmosphere. And I think you'll have that with the West Virginia series too. So I, I really like this dynamic of, of using that, firing that bullet against an opponent that's like a special opponent that's not on your schedule every year. Well, two quick points for me, Dusty. The first one is... I appreciate the fact that you mentioned West Virginia fans without insulting them. (laughs) Very impressive. I forgot. I was, I was salty two weeks ago. Wasn't I? I I was in some kind of mood. My, my mood that particular week was immune, was not immune to external pressures. (laughs) And the second point is, I think that by making it the whiteout, this is NBC's first big 10 conference, um, coverage they would love on NBC for this to be a whiteout and the fact that it's the first game I mean they already made the announcement that they're carrying the game but could you imagine if it's the whiteout just how much PR they would give to this game prior to it I think it would be fantastic for NBC and also it would be fantastic for Penn State and as you said it's a out of conference game against a you know a Big 12 team it would be fantastic i'm already excited about it i've changed i thought i wanted iowa to be the whiteout game <laughs> i now want it to be west virginia i i want that to be the case um well hey other i I, st- I still think you can you can still have the fake and injury night for iowa that that can be the theme for for the <laughs> iowa game 
And once more, if our audience doesn't understand the reference, look it up. All right, yeah. Dusty, one more news item I do want to bring up because um, a decision was made by the Board of Trustees. They approved a $70 million expenditure last week, and there was only one Board of Trustee member who voted against that, and he happens to be our guest in segments <laughs> three and four today, and that's Barry Fenchak. And I already recorded those segments, and it's really interesting to talk to him because he expressed the same concern that I have, Dusty. Candidly, I don't know enough to know, are they paying too much for this? Are they making the right decision? What about return on investment? Where is the money going to come from? Are there better solutions? Are there, way, are there ways for them to save on it? But the fact is, I don't think members of the board do, which is a bit scary to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems kind of bizarre. And, you know, I, I've never really explored the dynamic between the board and these official, you know, Penn State, you know, administrative entities and what information you have to present to the board in order for them to review. And clearly there was not uh, a detailed bullet point by bullet point plan as for how $70 million was going to be spent. And I'm not sure if one really exists for how $1.2 billion is going to be spent. And so I think there is a sentiment out there that, you know, if, if it's a vote against football, that it's it's an unpopular vote. And that's been true, you know, a lot of times. I think it's it's been really true recently uh, with the with the whole Mike Mowdy and Jay Paterno exchange on Twitter and stuff like that. You know, and I think, you know, it does take somebody who's willing to be unpopular to say, like, I'm the I'm dissenting against this, not because the plan is not good enough, but because and, and not because I, I'm, I'm concerned about the money so much. I just nobody knows what the plan is. What exactly are we approving seems to be where Barry is coming from. And, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm OK with a little bit of conversation. If that one vote, even if he knows it's not going to make a difference in the in the outcome of the of the vote. Uh, it's just to send a message of like, we, we just need more information. I'm, I, I'm not against that, honestly. Well, Dusty, just to let you know, I had a listener reach out to me and say, why am I against this upgrade of the stadium? Well, I'm not. But I don't know if I should be for that, if I should be for a new stadium, or if I should be for, let's make the small investment of just, let's winterize the stadium so it's good to go for hosting a playoff game. Should we really be spending $700 million to upgrade the stadium? So we will get into that conversation with Barry in quarter three. But before we do, I want to give you one little tidbit because I owe, you know I like the numbers, so I looked them up. When they built Beaver Stadium, tore down Beaver Field, built Beaver Stadium, the cost was approximately $1.2 to $1.5 million, okay? Now, I understand that was 60 years ago. I get that. So that money in today's dollars would be like $30 million, okay? Now, I'm smart enough to know you can't build a stadium today for $30 million, even though it's kind of a fascinating fact. But here's the interesting thing. In the $70 million they approved last week, $40 million of it is for design work on the new stadium or the refurbishment of the stadium. It costs more today to do the design work 
than it did 60 years ago to build the whole stadium. And again, yeah. I'm using today's dollars, okay? So yeah. I, I just find that that fascinating. So let's move on to some actual football talk, <laughs> Dusty. And you and I have been wanting to talk about this for a couple weeks, and that's a nice long look at the offensive line, especially in the wake of they just got done signing how many offensive linemen over the last several weeks and some good ones too, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's about it's it's a group of about five over I don't know about two weeks or so. Donovan Harbor, Garrett Sexton, both guys from Wisconsin. I think we talked last week about uh, that being such a big win because Wisconsin's program is built on big time offensive linemen, and these these are two of the best, not just O linemen in the state of Wisconsin, but two of the best players in Wisconsin in the twenty four class. Uh, Caleb Brewer, who's a really interesting guy from Wyoming, uh, who plays tight end, could be a defensive lineman, could be an offensive lineman. Not really every day that you see a guy who's 6'4", 275, listed as an athlete uh, on his recruiting profile, which he is. Uh, Egan Boyer and Jalen Matthews is in the, in the 2025 class as a four-star offensive tackle. And what, you know, I think Penn State has has sprinkled four stars and some five stars over James Franklin's time at Penn state, but never like this and never on the heels of landing two really, really good ones in Alex Birchmeyer and Javen Williams in the 2023 class. Now you piggyback a couple more four stars uh, in the 2024 class, and you're already on the board with a four star in the 2025 class. I would make the case that right now, given last year's offensive line performance, this year's projection of what we think the O-line can be and what is all happening on the recruiting front, I really don't think there's a better time in the history of Penn State's offensive line under James Franklin than right now. Like where we are right now, I don't think there's been a better time to be following this position. And it's pretty exciting to talk about it because it just has, it's been so rare that the group has had any forward momentum whatsoever. And it was last year, last spring, that James Franklin said, you know what? I've expressed optimism enough times and and it hasn't really materialized how I wanted it to. I'm just going to stop expressing optimism. And you know what? Last year, even though it was imperfect and there were injuries and all that stuff with the O-line, um, that that group it went out and, and the play did the talking. So I think this is a really fun time to be looking at, at this group. And, you know, uh, without question, you know, you need these guys in bunches. And I think the one thing that kind of surprised me is like, I'm looking at this run on offensive linemen saying like, okay, like I, I'm, I think everybody's all for offensive linemen, right? But how many are they taking in the next two classes? It seems like a huge number, but then you look at like what Penn state is set to lose over the next two off seasons. Uh, I think there are some guys who are going to have some eligibility to return who are going to leave a year early. And I think certainly after the 24 season, you're going to see a, a pretty good group of guys uh, move on. So I think this is, really is the time now over the next couple cycles to load up. Is this also dusty? Do you remember not very long ago, we were questioning is Phil Troutwine really the guy yeah. Did it just take a couple years for it to come together for him as a recruiter that you can't just step in on the campus day one and be successful recruiting your position? Yeah, and you know, I, these are there are times like this. I wish I knew a little bit more about all the finer points of technique that go into playing it because I, my my working theory is that 
you know, there's just always a bit of struggle. What if Phil Troutline comes in prioritizing A, B, and C when the previous coaches prioritize X, Y, and Z, and you're trying to get guys that you didn't choose who spent three or four years or whatever learning technique from another coach to try to buy into what you're prioritizing, what you're teaching, what you want them to do. And now I think you've seen them, you're, you're seeing a majority of these guys are, are players who are more handpicked by Phil Troutline and, and they're, you know, they, 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 started learning his technique and that's starting to pay off. And I think that's what kind of occurred here is that he just needed to really get a chance to put a stamp on things. And I think we're starting to see that now uh, beginning with last year, I think. It definitely seems to be the case there uh, and Dustin, and we're not done talking about the offensive line. We've got all of quarter number two to keep up that conversation, stick around. We're going to keep talking offensive line. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news, 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim. He's Dusty. We're talking offensive line today. And, uh, Dusty, a couple things, and I was going to ask you, what do you see any common thread among these players that, oh, they're a Phil Troutwine kind of guy? The one thing I want to uh, make note of is there seems to be athleticism is part of this. You've got a former quarterback that you recruit. You've got a former tight end who looks like he'll be an offensive lineman. You've got a state champion wrestler who you bring in. It seems like there there are guys who are showing their athleticism in other ways and that that's the kind of guy that he's looking for. I I mean, I I think that that's true. I I don't know that that wasn't uh, something that they wanted before, but it it might be more of a priority for for Phil Troutwine um, than others. Um, And, you know, one thing that I feel like we're starting to see uh, a little bit more of is is that guy who is 6'4", 285. 
And whether he's listed as an interior guy or listed as a tackle, uh, I think there could be some position flexibility. Even some of the guys that we're looking at as interior guys, you know, as a Cooper Cousins in the in the twenty four class, or Alex Birchmeyer, maybe. And Landon Tangwall is playing inside now, where I don't think that's necessarily the end all be all. Like I, I think there's there's an emphasis here on some position flexibility, and uh, maybe some of these uh, interior O line prospects. Uh, that that are listed that way. Maybe they don't end up there. Maybe they end up being tackles. You know, Caden Wallace to me was an interior guy through and through. And now he's been out of tackle for a few years now. And I've been waiting for him to maybe move back inside. It just hasn't happened. Uh, and I think, you know, the Caden Wallace was such a unique prospect when he arrived, just so just immense shoulders, just, just huge features all around. Donovan Harbor is a really close, type of prospect in terms of body type. And it's like, okay, Donovan Harbor is definitely a guard, right? I I don't know. I mean, I think they're going to explore everything. I think they spend that first winter and spring. um, Maybe if it's a red shirt season, they're going to try to move guys around and see what takes and what doesn't. They're going to explore that. I think they're getting guys who have body types and attributes. And I think athleticism is part of that. You know, not in, interior guys are usually viewed as being a little less athletic, who are going to anchor a little bit better, a little stronger in the lower half. Uh, they play in tighter spaces. But I think when you have athletes who play inside, it does maybe offer you the possibility of seeing them play outside. So I, I really feel like as I, you know, I, I kind of sketched out the, the chart of uh, you know, what the tackle position is going to look like, what the interior positions are going to look like. I think there's going to be one, at least one surprise there one of, where one of those interior guys maybe gets a run at tackle. And Dustin, when looking at your sheet, the depth chart over the next couple of years, the one thing that does stand out is for the five players who we anticipate starting this year, Hunter Norzad, Sal Wormley, Ofashanu and Caden Wallace will probably move on after this season. But then I look at the set of names for 24. I'm not all that concerned. Yeah. And, and I mean, can you think of another time where there was a very, very high likelihood where four out of five starters were going to move on and you came out and you go into that season, like looking forward to, to the reload? You know, and, and it's 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 been so rare. And I think, you know, what you saw, there there are various things. I mean, first of all, Landon Tangwall getting his first crack at starting last year didn't, you know, he ended the season injured, so you didn't really get that kind of finish on a high note thing. But you, you, you felt really good about that. Um, then then have Drew Shelton come in and burn his red shirt and play at such a high level at tackle. You're almost looking forward to space really clearing up where those two guys can really anchor what, what you're doing. So, uh, and then, you know, Vega Iwane, I feel like there there's, it's not smoke with him. I think the coaching staff really, really likes him. Then you got Birchmeyer and Javen Williams who, you know, next year, whenever those spots are up for grabs, they'll have a year under their belt, whether that's a red shirt year or whether they play. Uh, and then you got those guys coming in who maybe they get a chance to play right away. I mean, I, I think, um, and then by the way, like I, I, we've talked about this before, there's a whole group of redshirt juniors, uh, golden Israel Chumba is one JB Nelson, uh, is kind of in that category, even though he just arrived from Lackawanna, Nick Dawkins is one, uh, Ibrahim Treor is one. So there's this whole group where, 
I don't know about you, but you kind of start to rule them out because we haven't seen them yet. Maybe one of those guys is a one-off starter who does a really nice job too. I think there's just so many possibilities with this lineup and so many guys who have a little experience, so many guys who are really talented. Uh, you, you're not really that concerned about having to reshuffle the deck. All right, Dusty. The four guys I mentioned move on. Let's assume... For sake of discussion, Landon Tangwall comes back for another season. He would be eligible to move on if he wanted to. Give me the 2024 starting five on the offensive line. Okay, I thought you might ask me that. So actually, I thought about it a little tiny bit. So from left to right, I will say um, Drew Shelton, left tackle. Uh, Landon Tangwall, left guard. Uh, the the tendency at Penn State has been to move a veteran guy from guard to center, like they're like they're doing with Hunter Norzad this year. So my prediction would be that Nick Dawkins will be your 2024 starter at center. Uh, I'll go with Alex Birchmeyer at, at right guard, and I will go with Javen Williams at right tackle. Little little youth movement uh, at at the tackle spot. Interesting that. I- But again, it's something to be excited about. And you have in your notes that you sent me an interesting question that I'm going to answer. Is there such a thing as too many offensive line recruits in a short (laughs) amount of time? No, no, there isn't, (laughs) Dusty. And, 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 you know, let's use a little math here. No other position are there five guys. And I do realize there's a difference between a guard and a tackle. But as you said, they cross train these guys. And oftentimes it's just a matter of, hey, let's get our best five players out there. But you've got five positions to fill. That's unlike anything else. And if you're talking, you know, these other positions, there's 12 scholarship wide receivers for at most three positions. That's like four deep, if you will. Okay. To be comparable on the offensive line, you would need 20 bodies there. Yeah. Now, I know they're not going to have 20, but you do need the numbers, don't you? You do. And I, and I think, you know, you have to go at least too deep. You know, I, I think Penn State loves the idea of having a swing player who could be a backup at multiple spots. Uh, Bryce Efner is a good example of that. Um, but, you know, you do have to run 10 deep, not just with bodies, but with, with yeah, you have to run at least like seven or eight deep with not just bodies, but guys that you would trust that if you have to play for an extended period of time, that you're going to get the job done, that you're not going to subject your quarterback or your running backs or anybody else to unnecessary injury. You know, it's a really trust heavy position um, up front. So yeah, there, there isn't such a thing as too many offensive line recruits at a time. I do think um, this particular time though, it's like a step before it being urgent. You know, I think loading up on bodies now is a preventive measure from being stuck, from needing to hit the portal, from needing to sign seven offensive linemen in the 25 class because you didn't do enough in these classes. I, I think they're they're addressing it, I feel like, at a perfect time. And I do think that after the 2023 season, because you do have technically probably four openings there, I think you're going to be an attractive destination for a veteran offensive lineman coming from the transfer portal. Who's who knows that the competition is actually going to be wide open. There's no incumbent. Yeah. There's going to be a talented body or two there, but uh, they're, they're going to come and maybe reinforce this group even more. I would be surprised really if 
before 2024, they don't get at least a pretty solid uh, veteran offensive lineman from the portal. And again, you could use the same argument that I did for stocking it with out of your recruiting classes with numbers for the transfer portal. Because again, you've got five positions. It's not like when we talk about quarterback, well, Drew Allers here, there's no way in the world I'm going to start as a transfer quarterback coming in. Along the offensive line, there's five positions, which means I'm competing for five different spots, which helps the cause. The other thing to this whole depth thing too, Dusty, is if you look at last season as an example, the last, what, half of the season, there was essentially three starters injured yeah. and that's not unusual on the offensive line. You need, right. it's not like the defensive line where they're rotating in there too deep. It's they want to play five, but always end up having to play eight or nine because of injuries. And, and you do have certain situations where it makes sense to have, uh, you know, a planned uh, two guys, you know, and I think, you know, Hunter Norzad and Sal Wormley is a good example of that. You have two guys who are capable of playing and this bodes well for them when it comes to recruiting. And when it comes to transfer portal guys, you know, if, if there's an opportunity to be part of a rotation, a planned rotation, Penn State has shown that they'll, they'll do it and, and they will uh, get guys experience at every possible opportunity to make sure that they're, that there's continuity in the offensive line. It, it, you're building up depth and you're building up continuity from one season to the next. When, even if you're not a starter, you played 35% of the snaps in a year because you're part of a design rotation or whatever. So I think Penn state has done a really nice job over the years. Now what they have is, is pretty good tactical stuff and pretty good strategy when it comes to deploying the, these offensive linemen. Now, I think you, with, with the way they've recruited, you have raised the talent bar significantly. You know, you look at that group of redshirt juniors, you look at the guy, who are set to leave this year or next year and look at who's set to come in there's when it comes to pedigree and and uh physical talent penn state has raised the bar tremendously between last year's recruiting cycle and the next two and if they're able to keep doing the same things but now they're doing it with more talented guys it's easy to see a scenario where the offensive line gets better in 23 maybe even gets better in 24, even though they lose a bunch of guys and he's able to kind of keep moving in that upward direction. It's what everybody has wanted for a decade. And now it looks like it's more possible than ever. Give me the one guy who's going to step up that the fans don't aren't aware of. Man, I, I, I said Nick Dawkins before. I, I like him. I think J.B. Nelson is a possibility. I'd be interested to watch him in that that guard competition, um, one or the other of those spots. So those would be two veterans that you kind of maybe have written off that I think are going to play. One of those redshirt juniors, Jim, has to contribute, right, at some point in time. I don't know if this guy's the unknown, but he's the guy I'm really looking for to step up, Vega Ioane. I, I think he's the guy who's going to have um, surprise some people who just aren't aware of him. I agree with him. that one. I like him too. Yeah. Okay, Dusty, that is it. Dusty's going away. <laughs> we are going to have Board of Trustee member Barry Fancheck on. You don't want to miss that. Stay tuned. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hockensmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante and I am with our very, very special guest, a member of the Penn State Board of Trustees, Barry Fenchek. Welcome to the show, Barry. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Jim. It's it's great to be here and have an opportunity to talk Penn State stuff, uh, the stuff that all of us are very interested in. And um, as a trustee, of course, it, it's part of my responsibilities to be talking with Penn Staters about the things that matter to them. But more than that, today, just as a Another Penn State fan, it's it's uh, an opportunity that I look forward to. So let's talk about what we want to talk about. All right, let's get to it. It's an opportune time to have you on. The big conversation amongst Penn State folks, Penn State fans, is we're talking about an upgrade to Beaver Stadium. And let's start with what happened last week. The Board of Trustees approved a $70 million expenditure Let's start with that. What was that for, Barry? Okay, what that specific $70 million was for is to cover the costs for winterizing the stadium, and we can talk about that a little bit, as well as to uh, fund uh, some engineering studies on a proposed renovation to the stadium. And I believe that rough numbers, the... Uh, winterization figures are estimated at about $30 million and the studies at about $40 million. Okay, so l- just to understand this, this $30 million to winterize, that should take care of the stadium for if there's a December home game to host a playoff game. That's what that addresses? That's certainly how that's being presented. 
Now, even as it is now, I believe there are times when we reach, you know, near Thanksgiving with those last games of the year, that there are some difficulties that the physical plant folks encounter with keeping things running well. So that should address that issue as well, certainly. Okay, so I I don't think anyone would argue with that. I am really looking forward to a December playoff game at Beaver Stadium. Now, the other part of this is the design cost, which you estimated is about the $40 million. This might be the old man in me, uh, Barry, but you and I had talked about this before. Beaver Stadium 60 years ago cost $1.5 million to build which in today's dollars is $30 million, okay? So using today's dollars, $30 million got us a new stadium. Today, it, only get, it doesn't even get us a design study. Is that correct? Well, I, I'm sure your numbers are correct there. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of money. There's no question about that. Um, one of the things that concerns me as as a Penn Stater and as an individual, and I certainly wouldn't speak for the entire board, is that we are committing this rather sizable amount of money to do a study based upon the idea that we are going to do this renovation. And I'm sure we'll have some questions and talk about that in more detail. But I would like to, as, as a stakeholder of Penn State, I think our, our fans and supporters would like to know why we are heading down that particular pathway as opposed to evaluating other options, which might be building a new stadium or doing any number of things. Um, But before we start heading down a pathway, I think we owe it to uh, Penn Staters to make sure we've evaluated which pathway we should go down. And yes, we're definitely going to get to that. But the last part of this first expenditure you were the lone vote on the board against this, correct? That is correct. And what was your reasoning for that? Uh, really what I was, I was just discussing was um, I think before we expend this money, whether it be $70 million or $700 million, we're expending this $70 million with a, with a specific purpose in mind to um, scope out this, this renovation. Um, And I'm not sure, I certainly don't feel comfortable that I have been able to look at information that would allow me to to say that this is the best path to go down. It may be. I have no preconceived notions that possibly a renovation on this scale is the best option. But I don't know that. And I should know that before I approve of that spending. Okay, let, let's talk about that larger expenditure, The what we're being told is the $700 million renovation, which is really just the first phase because there was apparently talk of even more, another $500 million to bring the total to $1.2 billion. So it seems like there, should, there are multiple options. One would be to just fix it to get it winterize so they could handle uh, a playoff game, make it workable over the next several years. The other is the refurb of the stadium. And I imagine the third is a new stadium. So I guess your question may be the same as mine. What studies have been done? What brought them to the decision that renovation is the best route to take and major renovation? Yeah, let me... First, say you mentioned um, that this would uh, possibly be the first phase and maybe another half a billion dollars in subsequent phases. 
I'll be honest with you, Jim. I have not, from a board standpoint, been presented with anything like that. Um, now, I don't know if maybe that's a discussion going on with some outside groups. I, I don't know that. So I can't speak to that. Um, to, to my knowledge, the only part of this that we've been presented with is this this current um, proposal with, with the $700 million involved. Um, as far as the studies involved on this, and I believe uh, that there, I know that there have been several studies over recent years on Penn State's athletics facilities. I believe that Pat Kraft, our new AD, who, by the way, I think is a, a fine AD, uh, he's doing a great job in many ways, referenced a number of studies that were done, and I know it was a large number. So there certainly should be a ton. Uh, there should be reams of information out there evaluating, um, for all the money we spent on these, study, on these studies, evaluating these options. I have not seen that. Um, as I can speak for myself, that I have, have not seen that, so I can't swear that those types of studies were done to evaluate the efficacy of either building a new stadium, doing a major renovation, or maintaining the stadium such that we can continue to operate it safely the way we have uh, for, for many years. So um, I would expect and hope that that information is available, but to date, I haven't um, seen a level of information there that would allow me to say that we have really evaluated those options. That scares me a bit, Barry, that you're a member of the board of trustees and don't have the, you are voting on these things, but it sounds like you don't have all the background information to make the best decision possible. Yeah, and like I said, I can only speak for myself, and certainly any member of the board has to come to their own conclusions. As a board, certainly, we have the ultimate responsibility and the duty and the fiduciary responsibility to make those decisions. Now, we make those not for ourselves, but for all of the Penn State stakeholders out there, the fans, the boosters, taxpayers, etc. cetera. Um, so that's our responsibility. I know that for myself that unless I have enough information to properly evaluate these options, this, is a, this may be the biggest capital project we've ever taken on. This isn't, you know, a small line item in a budget. I can't approve of something if I don't feel comfortable that I have done my job as a representative for the Penn State stakeholders to, to be in a position to, to make that level of decision. And I, I've certainly tried to get that information, um, but uh, as of now, um, I really can't, uh, I couldn't tell you why we're not pursuing one of the other options. Again, major renovation may be the way to go. I don't know. I have no preconceived uh, notions in that regard, but I want to make sure that I've done my job. Now, the big pro the $700 million project, what I've read is it's, mostly going to be about the west side of the stadium. Essentially, it sounds like it's almost like a complete deconstruct, reconstruct of the west side of the stadium. Is that accurate? I think that's generally accurate. Now, let me make sure that we know. We haven't, as the board, we certainly haven't seen this in any detail yet. And that's not to be unexpected, right? That's what the studies are for and to try and see what those options may be. As we move forward, 
I would expect that there will be a lot of deliberation on different issues, um, revenue streams, expenses, et cetera, as we flesh out exactly what the particulars will be. But in general terms, what's been presented so far, and we've seen it in some media reports, is a significant redo of the west side of the stadium, which is the press box side, which would include uh, reconfiguring that in such a way as to add a lot more premium seating. All right. Whether that and I don't know the details of that. I don't know if anybody knows the details of that, but some type of premium seating to increase revenues, to uh, do some enhancements to the press box facilities. And then a lot of things that are being called circulation issues. And if folks read that and wonder what the heck that is, um, it's the things that would be designed to uh, make it a little easier for folks to get around the stadium, get into and out of the stadium, I would hope. Again, we haven't seen any details, um, as well as um, elevators for the folks in the suites and that sort of thing. I think they call that vertical circulation. I, I talked to a few people said, what in the devil is vertical circulation? I said, that's new and better elevators uh, for the suites. Um, but so those are those are the types of issues that are being discussed. Obviously, we're a long, long way from getting into the details of exactly which features would be included and how they would be included. But that, that's the gist of it. Well, I'm, I am absolutely positive, Barry, that the 100,000 folks or so who are sitting in the bleacher seats are very concerned about elevator access for those handful that are in the suites. I can't tell you how many times I've been approached with that concern. I can't tell you. <laughs> I, I I understand. All right, Barry, we're we're going to be up against the end of this uh, segment. I'm hoping you can stay on for another segment because I've still got about a hundred questions. Is that okay with you? If you're supplying the coffee, yeah. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, I'll supply the coffee when we come back. What I want to get into with Barry is, you know, a lot of times you see numbers for a renovation. It starts at one figure, but doesn't necessarily end there. I want to find out about that. And the other half of the equation is just how does Penn State pay for this? Where is that money going to be coming from? We're going to get to all of that with Barry next segment. So stay with us. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, 
local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti, and we are back with our very special guest. That's Barry Fenchak, member of the uh, Penn State Board of Trustees. Barry and I are talking about this proposal for a major renovation to Beaver Stadium. And Barry, when we finished up last segment, we were getting to the point where we're talking about that $700 million, which is the figure we keep hearing about for the renovation. And it was approved last week for approximately $40 million in design costs. Would you explain to me, after that design expenditure, might that seven hundred million change, or is what does seven hundred million is that firm? What does that represent right now? Well, I would certainly think at this point that there are a lot of options still on the table. So, could that number change? It certainly could change, um, even if we have the same project scope in mind, we never know what's going to happen over the next few years with respect to inflation and construction costs and things like that. So certainly there's a lot of variability there. And there are a lot of things to to look at as we try to balance out what revenue streams might be available to pay for it, um, where our costs might go. So certainly there's a lot of um, of unknowns there, let's put it that way, that could affect um, a lot of unknowns and a lot of decisions yet to be made that could affect where those costs finally come in. No question. The idea of either a refurbished Beaver Stadium or conceivably a new stadium, which actually sounds like it's off the table, what is the goal in doing this upgrade? I've had listeners ask me, hey, Jim, once you winterize it, what about the option of just leaving it as is? You draw over 100,000 fans every week. Is that so bad? I believe you you said what's the the goal, uh, something yes. along those lines. Um, I wish I could tell you. Um, I'm certainly, you know, all of us have certain uh, thoughts and concerns. And, you know, we're Penn Staters. We go to the games and we see things. We say, oh, it'd be nice to have this or it'd be nice to have that. Uh, we have concerns as fiduciaries or as, as, as taxpayers or whatever that, that, that where those concerns might be. We got to watch how much we're spending, um, and we've got to make sure that we've got revenues coming in that are sufficient to pay for them. So we all have different concerns in that regard. I think, and I think you bring up a very very good point uh, that often doesn't doesn't get brought up enough, is what's the mission? What are we trying to accomplish? Because that really drives all those decisions. And I think very often, you know, whether we're talking about this process or whether we're talking about things in government or what have you, we could talk all day. We need to start with what's the mission um, before we try to evaluate the best way to get there, right? We don't want to meander down a path not knowing where we're trying to go. And it is there that mission? Has that been clarified by anyone? 
I don't necessarily know that it has been. Um, I, again, I can only speak for myself. Um, I know that there have been, as you would expect, there are a lot of, and there are a lot of discussions yet to come up. So um, let's recognize that. But I don't know if we have really clarified the mission to the point where it would tell us this is the path we want to go. Um, I certainly don't feel comfortable that, that that's the case. And again, everybody has to reach their own conclusions there. But, um, you know, everything we spend money on should be to accomplish a mission, right? Whether it's to enhance safety for fans getting into and out of the stadium or this, that, or the other thing, we should have a mission in mind. Exactly. All right. Well, let's go to the other side of the equation because it it does sound like we're down that path to this renovation. I would hope so after, you know, an expenditure of $40 million more for design plans, I would assume this is probably going to happen. It's real. Okay. How does that $700 million expenditure get paid for? Will it be increased ticket revenue? Is it from suites? Is it from donations? Is it from the new Big Ten television contract? How how will those monies be allocated? Uh, that's a, a great question. And I think it's fair to say at this point that um, we don't know. I certainly have not seen any information that would delineate how that expense is going to be paid for. Now, certainly there are a lot of options to look at. Um, will the, uh, a renovation, assuming that that's the path we go down, will that generate significant additional game day revenues in forms of ticket sales, concessions, what have you? Um, will there be other sources of funding. I mentioned it to me. I don't know if you happen to see the board of trustees meetings this week, but um, I brought up the issue of whether or not requesting funding from the state for the stadium renovation was on the table. And the answer to that was, yes, it is on the table, but no one knows to what degree that might happen or if it would happen at all. So those questions are certainly not answered. And I'm not sure if at this point we really even have those questions framed. Um, again, I'm not necessarily surprised at that. We are, I would think, at the very early stages here. And, and these things also certainly will play off of one another. If it costs an extra $50 million to put suites on the West Side. And I'm not saying that's on the table at all, but let's say that that were. And then, well, okay, then you look, how much additional revenue do we generate from that? You do some pretty simple calculations and say, okay, that may, that may make fiscal sense or it may not. So there will certainly be, I would hope, an awful lot of give and take and looking at these um, interrelationships to a project we take on the cost money versus how much revenue that will generate. And I think we're just at the very, very early stages there. Hopefully that this project will be able to be financed through actual increased marginal revenues due to the project, philanthropy, and if it's available, state funding, because if it's not, then we just drain our treasury even more with no return. And I don't want to see that happen. And by our treasury, I mean Penn State's assets. Barry, you and I have had a discussion about some of this, and you use the expression ready, fire, aim. To be honest, that's my fear of what's going on here in making this expenditure. I share your concerns. 
Okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let it at that. Um, I, I do have a couple other questions for you. One of them is, in the comparison that we read that was out by the media, was the idea that after this $700 million, possibly another $500 million for a total of $1.2 billion for the refurbishment of Beaver Stadium. That's versus $1.5 billion for a new stadium. And again, I'm, some of my listeners have said, well, gee, the difference between $1.2 billion and $1.5, why not just build new? But that would also involve asking questions like, what is the lifespan of each? If we're $1.2 billion into Beaver Stadium, but in five to 10 years, we're going to need to do this again versus a new stadium, that kind of changes that financial assessment. I'm afraid to ask the question, but has anybody figured that out? You know, I have not seen a proposal that would, you know, take us up to that $1.2 billion mark in total renovation. Certainly if that were the case, and if the cost for a new build were 1.5, it could be, Certainly a lot of examination we'd want to look at with that differential, what are we getting? And it might be much, it might be more than enough to justify moving up to that new build option. I I honestly, Jim, I just don't really have information to address that. And to the best of my knowledge, um, it hasn't been brought up that way. But certainly if it is, and 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 to, to your point, I think it's it's an option we should evaluate. Now, it may be that we evaluate it, you know, when we're talking about a new build, we evaluate it, look at the potential cash flows, look at the cost and say no. Um, but it shouldn't be off the table without an evaluation. I've talked to other board of trustee members where it's, no, we're not building a new stadium. It's upgrade of Beaver Stadium. And what's, that is long before this uh information that we're getting today this is a year ago and so i had concerns then about that homework not being done so it's it's scary to me as a penn state fan a penn state alum about how those funds are being spent and where that will end up being whose responsibility is for it uh this may be a little bit out of nowhere this question has anyone talked about doing naming rights for the stadium, which would be another source of revenue? I know that that topic has uh, has come up with a lot of uh, folks out there, uh, you know, boosters and fans and, and, and what have you. Um, I believe that Pat Kraft did address that issue in an article that I just read the other day. So um, I'll mention it. Um, his, his statement was um, that at least at this time, that's not on the table, but it's certainly something that, that everyone's aware of as a possibility. Um, I wish I could tell you exactly where that article was. I think it was statecollege.com or something like that where I saw it. Uh, but but he, his, his statement was that it's basically not on the table right now. Now, naming rights in general, it's, I'm sure you're aware, and you probably talked about it before, for college sports, it's not generally a huge amount of money. I think the largest naming rights deal was at USC's new stadium. They did about 
I think five, six million dollars per year. Of course, that's in LA. And it was also a stadium that was going to be used for a period of time by the NFL team. So it was kind of a, a one of. Uh, but there might, if there's a significant pot of uh, gold at the end of that rainbow, it absolutely is an issue that we should take a look at, in my opinion. Okay, I've got 30 seconds left, Barry. I'll give you last word. What should Penn State folks know about what's going on with the Beaver Stadium renovation? Well, I think they, they should know that their um, trustees are evaluating all these options and trying to come up with an option that allows us to provide the best uh, product, to provide the best game day atmosphere for them that we can in a way that is fiscally responsible. And I certainly hope to do my part to try and make sure that happens. Barry, thank you so much for coming on and facing the music. Hopefully we'll be able to get you on again. For right now, that's it for this edition of the Keystone Kickoff Show. Make sure you join us next time. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.